my eyesight is horrible. I mean, without my glasses, I'm just, I'm practically blind. I'm nearsighted, which means I can see things up close, which is nice, because I like to read. But anything at a distance at all, I just have trouble seeing it. And so if you were standing 15 feet in front of me, and I didn't have my glasses on, I wouldn't recognize you at all. I just couldn't tell who you were. Just way too blurry. First time I realized that I, I had kind of a severe vision issue was on a missions trip I took down to Honduras. As part of what we were doing, we were putting on a vision clinic. And people had donated hundreds of pairs, hundreds and hundreds really, of pairs of these used glasses. And then an optometrist had, had determined the prescription of each of the lenses and whatever, and then marked them so that we'd be able to do these eye exams and then give them away for free. My job at the clinic on the first day was to actually determine what prescription each person was supposed to get. That is a scary thought. My daughter's an optometrist, you know, and there's so many things that you check with all of this, and I was doing these exams. Uh, but I used a simple chart. It wasn't a real, it wasn't real complicated. Most of you are familiar with the charts that you use when you go into an optometrist's office where it's got the letters on it, and, and as the lines of letters go down, they get smaller and smaller, and then your job is to read the letters, and depending on how far you go down the list, that determines what your prescription is, and that's what I was doing. We drew a line, and I'd invite one person to come up, and, and our particular chart was just a little bit different than usual. It used the letter E. Let me show you a picture of it, because down there, a lot of the people uh, were not able to uh, read the alphabet, and so we used the letter E, a capital letter E, pointed in four different directions, right, left, up, and down. And then people would use their fingers to indicate what it was doing on the screen. So I'd go like this, and then I'd go like this, and then I'd you know, go over that way. And, and, and that's how we did the exam. And then based on what we found out, I would write down what the prescription would be, and then they'd go over and grab some glasses that would fit it the best. Toward the end of the day, this uh, woman in, I was going to say elderly, but she's in her 60s, and I realized that's me. But she was probably in her 60s, and she wasn't wearing glasses, but I went to do her exam, and she didn't have, I mean, she didn't have any glasses on, so she, she stood where I said to, and I asked her to, to read things, and um, she couldn't read any of it. Not a single line. And when I saw this, I was kind of, my heart kind of broke for her a little bit, because I thought, I don't even know how you got here. You know, in your situation, you're like practically blind. And I wondered, what must it be like, you know, to not be able to see like that, where everything is so blurry, where your, your eyesight is so bad? I finished out that day, and at the end of the day, a question came to my mind. I wondered what my own prescription might be. And so I asked somebody to stand up at the chart, and then I went behind that line, and I took off my glasses. I realized I couldn't read a thing. <laughs> it was all one big blur. I couldn't read the top big E, and I knew which direction it faced. I couldn't see it. And then suddenly it hit me. I'm as blind as that woman was. I mean, here I was feeling so sorry for her, like, what is it like to be so blind? <laughs> and then I realized, that's me. I was as blind. I just wasn't aware of it because the glasses corrected or whatever. 
spiritual and physical blindness in Scripture are kind of tied together many times. Physical blindness is actually an illustration of spiritual blindness, the inability to see in the spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this age, it's a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the good news, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan blinds people's eyes so that they don't see, they don't see properly. Sometimes they think we get mad at people in a spiritual sense, not realizing the real issue is they're, they're actually spiritually blind. Now, I don't know how the devil does it. Jesus gave an illustration to this in one of his parables. He talked about how the word of God can be planted in the soil of a person's heart, but then he described how sometimes the devil comes and he actually steals the seed before it has a chance to produce fruit. One of the things I pray every single week when I'm standing in the back there waiting to come out is, Lord, I ask you that whatever seeds are planted would bear fruit. I ask you that you will not allow the devil to snatch the seed before it can accomplish the work in the person's life. But there's a spiritual blindness out there. The good news is Jesus is the hope of the world because he is the light of the world. And as we'll see in a minute, light and and sight are so directly connected. You can't see without light. And Jesus claimed, I am the light of the world. He is the solution. Now, today we continue our series titled Face to Face. We've been looking at encounters that Jesus had with various people, people like you and me. And today we look at this story of the healing of a man who was born blind. But what's interesting about this story, and I mentioned something like this last week, is that it's more than just the story of that guy. It's a story that illustrates the blindness of the religious leaders, and they're tied together. And so you realize there's more than one person that's blind in this story we're looking at, and it's because they will not turn to the one who is the light of the world. My takeaway today is this, Jesus is the source of physical and spiritual sight, and we'll, we'll see why I add the physical part here in a minute, but he's the source of physical and spiritual sight. Of, of the five senses that we have, the one that matters the most to me is sight. I mean, of the main senses, they say we have more than those, but the main ones, you know, you've got sight, you've got smell, you've got taste, you've got hearing, and you've got touch. And I've thought before of those five, the one that I really would not want to do without is, is sight. These eyes, it's amazing to me that the eyes are so small, but they let in the whole universe. It, it opens up everything, just... It welcomes everything, and this is what, of course, Christ wants to do in our lives. Help us see everything. And Jesus came to do that, and he made it possible for that. But sight, in a physical sense, is important. It's more important spiritually. When I think of sight, by the way, that's the only sense that I've, I've, over the years, occasionally been a little afraid I was going to lose. Not because of any medical issues, but because I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I'm, I'd be curious if this has happened to most of you, but I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I can't see anything. Everything is black, pitch black, and I'll put my hand in front of my face, I can't see it, and I start to freak out. 
and then I'll reach down, where are my glasses, where are my glasses, and I'll put on my glasses, and then I'll see just the little light on the TV set or something, and I'll say, oh, I'm not blind. Now I can go back to sleep, you know. I, I want physical sight, but I'm telling you that spiritual sight is of infinitely greater value. It makes all the difference in the world. So we're going to look at a story here where Jesus restored physical sight to someone, but he gave that person spiritual sight. But in the process of doing so, some other people were blinded. Stories found in John chapter 9. Let's begin reading in verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the man who sat begging? Some said, he's the one. No others were saying, he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore, they asked him, well, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man, the man called Jesus made mud. He spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Well, where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. So let's talk about this for a little bit. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem. They were specifically very near where the temple was. They come across a guy here who never saw a day in his life. He was born blind, born without sight. He'd never seen anything. And the disciples asked the question, who sinned here? That this guy was born blind. Was it his parents or was it him? I don't know how it could have been him if he was born blind, but I guess there is a theory about that out there. But Jesus said it's neither, and, and I think it's important to realize that, that neither. Jesus said this happened so that God's works might be revealed, you know, so that God might be glorified. I say this is important because I still run into people that have this theology, this idea that if you have a sickness of some kind, something bad happens to you, especially if it's something really that really bad. They think it's, it's because of some sin in your life, and that's not the case. It's not that way. The story of Job should answer that question once and for all. Nobody in the world was as righteous before God as Job, and yet he faced more than any of us in this room have faced in terms of his suffering, personal suffering, financial suffering, everything else. It's not because of sin. And so Jesus corrected their theology, but he said, this is, you know, this is so that God might be glorified. Now, some of you might be bothered by that statement if you think about it. And the reason you, you'd be bothered by it, perhaps, is because you'd say this. Are you telling me, Tim, that God allowed this guy to be born blind and to live into adulthood just so God could get glory? That doesn't seem very fair. Doesn't seem very kind. But let me mention two things about it. Number one is that everything's for the glory of God. I think our number one goal in life is to, to, to give glory to God with our lives, whatever that involves, but to give glory 
to God with our lives. But second, what this guy was going to receive was worth it. Whatever suffering he underwent because of his blindness, when he finally saw physically and spiritually, he got a gift that was of infinitely greater value than any suffering that he went through. I would go through the same thing. I'm thankful I don't have to. But if I had to be blind my whole life so that I could see Christ, I would choose that. And so, now the key to this story is found in verse 5 where we read, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And, and light, again, is what makes sight possible. If, there, if, if there's no light, you can't see anything at all. And Jesus, of course, again, is the source of physical and spiritual sight. But when I talk about physical sight, I'm not really talking about this story. I'm going all the way back to creation because I believe that this story is meant to illustrate that Jesus is God. You know, you remember the creation story in Genesis 1? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Then God said that there be light, and there was. I think that was Jesus introducing light to the world. And then shortly after that, he produced life. But you have to have the light there to have the life. Both are essential for life. And John, the gospel writer, put these two ideas together in John 1, 3, and 4. He wrote, all things were created through him. It's a reference to Jesus. All things were created through Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. You see, we find that light is not just essential for seeing, but life is essential for life itself, or light is essential for light itself, which is what Jesus wants to do in our lives, to give us new life, to be born anew through him. Now, this particular miracle, I think, was intended to be actually like a sermon illustration, because if you go to the previous chapter, Jesus made the claim, I'm the light of the world too. This story comes right in after the, the one in the previous chapter. And in the previous chapter, an interesting thing was happening. Jesus was at this festival, and this particular festival had one aspect to it that was unique. They lit this huge lamp. It was, it was I don't remember, 50, 60 feet tall. It was massive, and you could see it around Jerusalem. It was from within that context that Jesus made that announcement. I, and he just made it to everybody, I am the light of the world. And people would see exactly what he was saying. He was the one that illuminates everything. It was Jesus. And to prove it, then he performs this miracle. And Jesus did that a lot. You can look for it. Jesus made the claim, I am the resurrection and the life. And then the next thing he did was raise Lazarus from the dead. It's a sermon illustration proving Jesus is who he claimed to be through the miracle that he performed here. Now, as we continue the story, we read this, uh, uh, what Jesus told the guy to do. He, he said, you know, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud that I put on your eyes. It, it was a weird way to heal people. Most of the time, Jesus either spoke healing into existence or he touched the person. Have you ever wondered why it was mud? What was he doing? Why did he touch him in this way? I think, once again, Jesus was pointing to his identity. Going back to creation, this was how Adam was formed, from the dust of the earth. 
Jesus created him with his hands and then breathed life into him. That's what this story is about. Breathing new life into this guy with the sight that he was about to receive. Now let me summarize what happened next. The blind man, of course, did what, what he was asked to do and he could suddenly see. And then there was a little bit of a debate among the people that were standing around because it, it apparently caused a stir. Most likely he began to shout, I can see, I can see. But it says even his neighbors began to argue, that's not him, that, that's not the guy. Other people said, well, I've seen him. He's sitting there, he always begging at the same place. That is the guy who was blind. And they're arguing back and forth. The guy himself said, all along I am, I'm the guy. And they asked him, what happened? Well, this guy named Jesus, you know, came along, put mud on my eyes, told me what to do. I, I did what he said, and now, now I can see. Well, they brought him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And the Pharisees asked him, well, tell us what happened. And it indicates that he told them the story exactly the same. It never alters. The story is the same. They did not believe him. And this is what blindness, spiritual blindness, actually looks like. They refused to believe him. They didn't, they didn't believe it had happened to him, any of it. And so they called the guy's parents. It suggests to me that he was on the younger side. Maybe he's 20 years old or something. I don't know. But he was on the younger side. So they called the parents and they said, is this your son? Was he actually born blind? And, and, and how is it that he can now see? And the parents responded, yes, it is our son. He was born blind. We know that. But how he can see, ask him. He's of age. Now, they said it that way, the text indicates, for a reason. They were afraid that they were going to be excommunicated, basically. The Pharisees had indicated that if anyone claims that Jesus was the Messiah, that they, they'd be kicked out of the temple. They couldn't go there, which would be a big deal. In Jesus' day, not to be able to go to the temple, not to be able to offer your sacrifices. And the parents knew Jesus had done this. There's no doubt about it. They knew it, but they were afraid to, to say anything. And so they just actually pointed to him, kind of threw him off under the bus, if I could put it that way. And so the, the Pharisees br bring him back in. And they said this to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Now, it's an odd statement to make, give glory to God. But what it means, what it meant in Jesus' day was confess. Make an oath that this is true. Give glory to God. This exact phrase appears in the Old Testament in a story involving a guy named Achan. Achan was a guy who stole some things. He hid it in his tent and um, it brought judgment on all of Israel and finally it was brought out into the open and he stood there before Joshua and the other leaders and Joshua said to him, give glory to God. He wasn't saying now it's time to worship. He was saying, tell the truth, come out in the open. And that's what they're saying to him, give glory to God because we know this guy is a sinner. The man was really bold in his response. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. What I know is I was blind, but now I can see. He indicated that no one could do that unless God were able to make them do it. At this point, they were getting impatient with him. They said, tell us the story again. And he responded, well, why, why do you want to hear it again? I, I've already told it to you. Do you want to become one of his disciples too? 
It's, I think, he's, I think he's, he's mocking them. You know, do you want to be a follower of his too? It was a bold response, but I think he was frustrated with them. How blind could you be? How unwilling to see the obvious evidence. These guys had seen Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. They would not stop and ask the question, what does this mean for us? Is this man really from God? Should I turn to him? They refused. They rejected him. And so they were blind, as we'll see, but it was a willful blindness. And this guy is kind of saying, you know, you you can't see the obvious here, you know. And again, this is not just the story of a blind man. It's a story of some blind leaders. And so when this guy said to them, well, do you want to become a disciple of his? They responded, we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke through Moses, but this guy, we don't know where he came from. And the blind man continued. He said, isn't that amazing? He healed me. I was born blind. And you don't know where he's from? You know, I'd want to add, what is wrong with you? You know? A lot of frustration at this point. And it was the last straw. The religious leaders had had enough of him. They said to him, you were born entirely of sin, and how dare you lecture us? And they kicked him out. But the story continues here in verse 35, where we get to the conclusion of it. We read, when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? I love the fact that Jesus went looking for him. He heard that he had been cast out of the temple. He knew that was a big deal, so he went looking for him, and he found him. And then he asked an odd question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, if you've been attending here a little while, you understand the significance of that title, Son of Man. It was a title that Jesus used to describe himself more than any title he ever used. You know, he talked about when the Son of Man comes in glory, and he used that phrase a lot, when the Son of Man, I'm the Son of Man. And he used it because it's a a perfect title for the one who was the God-man. You see, Son of Man is a reference to his humanity. It emphasizes his humanity. You're a son of Adam, which makes him, by the way, qualified to die for the sins of Adam and his descendants. You're a son of man. It refers to his humanity, but it is more than that. It's a a phrase of his divinity because this is the phrase that comes out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where the prophet Daniel, hundreds of years earlier, foretold that somebody was going to be coming who would be a son of man. Every Jewish person knew that title, a son of man. But what was odd about Daniel's description of this guy is that it says he was ushered into the very presence of the Holy of Holies, seated next to God and someone who will reign forever and ever and ever. In other words, he was God in the flesh. And so the title means both things. And so he asked the guy, you know, do you believe in the son of man? And this guy being familiar with that, phrase, answers in verse 36, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Now, this is the moment in which this guy received his spiritual sight. He'd already received his physical sight, but at this moment, he saw clearly something. I don't know if anyone else saw up to this point. He realized that that Jesus was God. 
And it says he worshiped him. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Now, worship is to be reserved for God alone. And you realize not only did this guy worship Jesus, but Jesus accepted the worship. This is why I'm saying everything about the story is pointing to Genesis and how Jesus was our creator. Then continuing in verse 39, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have, have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. You know, usually when I read the part of the story where Jesus encounters this guy and he falls down and worships Jesus, I, I guess I've always had the impression that it was just the two of them there. Like Jesus went looking for him, he found him, and they had this little private conversation. But when you get to this part of the story, you realize the Pharisees followed him everywhere. They were already there. They saw what happened. They saw the guy bow down. They, they, they likely heard when he acknowledged, I am the son of man. And they watched him worship Jesus. Now, they may not have arrested him because it might have just been homage. You know, I don't know if they knew for sure about that part of it. But they overheard, at the very least, the statement Jesus made. I came to blind some, and I've come to open the eyes of some who are blind. The, the, the ones who can't see will, the ones who see, supposedly, won't. And the leaders asked, are you saying we are blind? And his answer is kind of cryptic, but he's basically saying the fact that you say you can see proves how blind you are. And you're only going to get blinder. Because in Scripture, when we do not receive the revelation God gives us about things, we become more and more blind. We see less and less. A.T. Lincoln writes about this, what these Pharisees are suffering from is in fact an illusion of sight, and this has caused a far deeper darkness than they're aware of, the darkness of refusing to acknowledge one's blindness and therefore being unable to accept the light when it is offered. I mean, this whole story is so ironic. The guy who was blind, supposedly because he was a sinner, is the one who ended up getting his sight and having his sins forgiven. But those who claimed to see ended up being blinded and Jesus said they ended up staying in their sin. Dr. Warren Wearsby writes about this, no one is so blind as he who will not see. The one who thinks he has all truth and there's nothing more for him to learn. Again, these religious leaders had seen Jesus perform all these miracles and everything. Why didn't, why didn't they stop? Why didn't they reflect? And the bottom line is I think that they valued their position. They didn't, they didn't want this outsider coming in and usurping everything. They liked the fact that everybody viewed them so highly and everything else. And Jesus was, came out of the system, a different system. He didn't come from that system, a different one. And they refused to turn to him. And there are people like that today. Several years ago, I went on campus here, was talking with a college student about the gospel, and he had a lot of questions, a lot of objections, and I answered all the objections to the best of my ability. I, I thought it was fairly clear, and, um, but he still, he didn't want to become a Christian. He wouldn't put his faith in Christ. And so I asked him, if I could prove to you 100%, if I could 
prove it 100% that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came into this world, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sin and mine, and then he rose again from the dead, and then if you put your faith in him, you'll have eternal life. If I could prove that all of that is true, would you believe? And he immediately said, yes. And then he paused and he said, actually, no. I wouldn't believe. And I said, are you telling me if I could prove it, you wouldn't believe it? He said, no, I don't want to believe. And that's what the issue is. Jesus described these religious leaders as blind guides. They were like the blind leading the blind into a pit. Jesus is, though, the source of physical and spiritual sight. Let me give two applications here because he's the light of the world. First of all, there are some of you maybe here that are either here in the room or watching online or listening to this or whatever, that you've been exposed to Christ and you've been exposed to the teachings of Christ. You have to admit his teaching is amazing. You've heard of the miracles that Jesus performed. You realize that in our world today, there are over a billion people that identify with this one who rose again from the dead. They're, they're, to some degree, they're associating with the risen Savior. You know that that's true. You know that he claimed to be the Son of God. You heard he died for the sins of the world, but you know that the tomb is empty now, and there's no explanation for that except a resurrection. There's no way the tomb could be empty in any other way than a resurrection. No one could have taken the body and there are good reasons why and maybe you've heard all that and you may have even seen lives changed by Jesus. Like this person used to be like this but they're changed but you're still saying no to him. I encourage you to turn to him. I encourage you to put your trust in him. I encourage you not to be like these Pharisees who despite the evidence keep saying no, no, no. Because the night is coming, Jesus said, when no one can work. The night is coming when the opportunity will not be available. And I encourage you to put your trust in Jesus, your faith in him, the one who died and rose again for you, because God loved the world in this way that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer eternal ruin, but instead will have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. And we put our trust in a risen Savior. If you're already Christian here today, Jesus is for us again, both physical and spiritual sight. And I think these days we need sight. And there may be specific areas in your life, decisions you need to make, and you say, Lord, I need to see clearly. Jesus is the light of the world. And maybe you need him to lead you in the direction that you need to go. I look at the world today, and there's a lot of blindness out there. I'm, I'm puzzled almost by how blind I feel some are. They're so blind. It's like, how could you be so blind? And sometimes Christians are being sucked into it, but Jesus is the light of the world, and he can give us sight. Some of us just need to see Jesus himself more clearly so that it, it would transform our lives. You know, the apostle Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you'd know the hope of your calling, that you'd know about the riches of the glory of the inheritance that you have and the surpassing power that's at work in you the very power that raised Christ from the dead is available to Christians. But Paul said, I pray that your eyes, I pray spiritually that you would see it. And there might be other areas in your life where you say, Jesus, I just need to see clearly. Well, I encourage you to turn to him because he is indeed the light of the world. And your prayer should be help me to see. Last point I want to make is this, that Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, but he also said we are the light of the world. Because part of our job, those who see is to help others see. 
And so Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that, pe- that people may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. Let us also be lights in this world. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your son, Jesus, and how he proved time and time again who he was, that he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to you except through him. I ask you, give us eyes to see. I pray any that are struggling to believe that you'll help them see and put their trust in Jesus today. And I pray as Christians, as we struggle with various things, that you give us sight. We really need to see, especially these days, it seems. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.